Hello, everyone. Robert Walker here, along with Caleb Pierce, and we are Sheep Things Podcast. Our goal with this podcast is to get down to the basics with industry leaders, associations, breeders, owners, vets, suppliers, and anyone else we can find to hear their stories and firsthand experiences. Hopefully, we will ask the right questions to see what makes them successful, how they got started, and what they see for the future of the sheep industry. We hope to have something new weekly that we can share, so stay connected to our website, Facebook page, or sign up to follow us on a podcast service to get updates as they are published. Stay tuned as we try to share our learning experience with you all as we dive into the sheep industry together. Hello, everyone. This is episode 15 of the Sheep Things Podcast. The next couple episodes will be with Dan Turner of Ulam Wright Farm in Shippensburg, Pennsylvania. I've known Dan and Jan now for a couple years, and last year I got a chance to spend a couple days with them uh, as they hosted a Katahdin Field Day, uh, Dan calls K-Day, a great event for everyone in that area. So Dan's setup and the path uh, to where he is now in his sheep venture is pretty typical of what I hear people say. So I wanted him to come on and share his successes along the way in case someone else, uh, someone listening, is in the early stages of that same path uh, that maybe we can help them out some. Also, uh, we experimented with video in this conversation with Dan. So uh, you'll probably hear us reference that several times and you know, hey, I want you to look at this or show you this. Uh, but really, we only did it for to experiment uh, for future episodes. So don't pay that any attention. And uh, also, we'll start out with a blooper, uh, kind of a blooper, to show everybody how much fun we really have uh, uh, doing these podcasts. So everybody enjoy. I have not had a chance to we do questions. Um, I've thought of questions. I haven't had to chance to put them into okay. a document yet so we usually give you um, questions I was thinking, so you kind of you know not necessarily impromptu i, I kind of i was wondering about that thinking come yeah. on man <laughs> everyone else that does this usually gives me questions <laughs> well you know uh we yeah. usually veer off topic uh after about 10 minutes so <laughs> and then caleb caleb is very really? he's you think very organized so close to the end of our time he'll start reeling everything back and try to try to finish everything that's on the sheet but uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I i didn't realize it took us 10 minutes i thought we got <laughs> well, off track yeah, a lot it's sooner usually, it's usually after <laughs> hey how you doing where are you located you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> well dan thank you so much for coming on the podcast really appreciate you taking the time to join us you're welcome Appreciate the invite. Yeah. So why don't you start off by telling us maybe a little bit about kind of your story, um, what you do for a living, and and how sheep became a part of your story. And location. We need to add location. We need to know where you're from. Okay. So I'm Dan Turner from Ulam Wright Farm. We're in Chippensburg, Pennsylvania. And uh, actually, well, my occupation is that I own and operate a hydraulics company that we do a little bit of repair and we do some uh, distribution and 
a variety of, of uh, activities related mostly to the fluid power industry. Okay. Uh, so I have a certain amount of uh, hard skills, uh, mechanical skills, uh, much more so than what I have in the uh, biological uh, realm. Uh, so a lot of people that I talk to in the in the sheep world that that I'm uh, around nowadays uh, are way more advanced than I am uh, with a lot of the uh, veterinarian practices or whatever you want to call it about, uh, keeping sheep alive. Uh, I, can keep them, I can keep them in a fence and I can feed them. Uh, but, uh, you know, whenever it comes to a lot of the biology, that's not my thing. So I've been learning a tremendous amount so, of people, uh, that, uh, from KHSI and, and that's, that's been a great learning experience for me. But so, uh, so if we came up with a really cool hydraulic, uh, sheep idea you'd be, I'd the, be guy. the guy yeah yeah i could put it all together cool uh so years ago i uh i bought a small farm 20 20 some acres in and uh i'd seen some highland cattle and so i wanted to buy uh and get into raising a few highland cattle mm -hmm. and i went to a uh, uh a where they were judging these they were showing the highland cattle and it, it was a Celtic festival. And for that, they had a sheep herding demonstration. And so they had a border collie and a couple of sheep in the field. And I was just amazed by this guy operating this dog. And uh, so I was like, man, I want to get a border collie. So I look in a newspaper, find a, a litter of border collies for sale, go pick a border collie out and as a pup and really raised the dog up to just be, you know, excellent mannered and, and well-behaved and, and just a great companion. About three and a half years later, that's how old he was, which is way old for training a dog, uh, met a guy that, that had some sheep. And I asked him if I could bring my uh, dog over to his place and see how he reacted. And whenever we did that, my dog just like went up two octaves in his... <laughs> uh in in his whole personality and uh what i realized is something came alive inside the dog that that was just very instinctual and i wanted to do more of this so as we as we played with the sheep uh as that i was borrowing from my buddy i promised my dog if we if we went to one of these trials and and he won i would get him some sheep of his own <laughs> Sure enough, uh, it wasn't, a, but a, a month or two later, we went to a trial. He ended up winning a blue ribbon and a novice, and so I had to go get him some sheep. Now, we yeah. started out with some uh, wool sheep. We got Icelandics because I thought they complemented the uh, Scottish Highlands pretty well, the long hair, you know? <laughs> and and then, then I had these three sheep, you know, just worn to death by this dog. And my buddy says... Hey, I know a guy that's got some Katahdin's. He says, I could get you some Katahdin weathers and that would at least add a little variety to your flock there. Yeah. So we end up going to Hanover, Pennsylvania, buying a couple of weathered Katahdin's and uh, start running them in my flock. And about a little over five months later, I go up to run my dog in the morning and there's a set of lambs. <laughs> So you didn't get the first lesson, first lesson I learned in sheep was 
if you're going to band them, make sure you count to two. <laughs> yep. So, so yes, yeah, so. what had happened was that I had one that, that had uh, not been properly banded, but yet he showed no outward signs of being a ram, uh, yet was able to impregnate one of my Icelandics. Yeah. So from that, it just was like, well, if we're going to start having lambs, we're going to start having lambs. And uh, we just really kept that flock going, but we bred the wool out of them. Then I moved to another farm, and uh, we didn't own the farmland. We just lived in it around or inside the, the farm. We were the farmhouse that got split off from it. Hmm. And uh, we just... By the time I moved here, I probably had 30 sheep, and they all kind of sprung from that beginning. I hadn't bought any more ewes. Uh, every two years or so, I'd buy a ram of some sort, but I didn't know anyone else in the sheep, really, that uh, could get me any quality animals. So I just uh, kept kind of just whatever I could get a hold of is what we used. And we had no real uh, desire to stick with any one breed uh, my wife came out one time when i was shearing sheep and caught me laying on my back on the ground uh with my arms wrapped around one of my icelandics and she just pretty well panicked and said what are you doing and i said well right now i'm catching my breath but as soon as i get my breath i'm going to do a reversal on this bugger <laughs> and i'm going to shear him <laughs> And she said, this can't be the way people do this. And I'm like, well, I, I don't know anyone else that's into sheep. So, you know, this is how I do it. So that was one of the problems we noticed with the wool sheep was just me having to wrestle them all the time. And uh, so then really the flock grew to probably about 60 animals. And this was all on rented ground here. Mm -hmm. And... And, and that's where, in one of my articles for KHSI, I, I mentioned that we had catch your own lamb because we had <laughs> the fence around the field, but that's about as much of any equipment as we had. It was always, it was always quite the experience when it was catch day. Yeah, well. It, you know, that uh, there's a big market in the pick your own blueberry, so – with some of these city guys that well the cool thing fun. is is yeah. i don't know about you guys but i'm i'm really into puns and uh everything's you know you pick you could call this you catch and you could kind of make it yeah. you catch. you catch. yeah you catch sorry bad joke <laughs> Almost exactly no i get it i think it's a great catchphrase uh yeah and and as long as they would pay you before they go in the field, you could end up with money because most people don't come out with an animal. Yeah. <laughs> so one time I sold this guy, uh, he wanted a ram and, and it was probably my second year maybe. And I, I didn't have no facilities hardly either. And I had them all in this little lot that I use for my rams now. And, uh, uh, <laughs> I was pretty good with a lasso, you know, at the time. And, and, uh, so he picked out a ram that he wanted and they probably weighed a hundred, 120 pounds. And, uh, you know, I missed a time or two and they kind of got, they kind of got rattled a little bit to say the least. And uh, so me and him's walking through the pen and we're, we're trying to corner them, trying to whatever we can to catch one. And, 
And at about the same time, two grown men, both, we both dived and he caught a ram and I caught a ram and we're laying there on the ground with these rams. And my wife goes, y'all look like idiots, you know? (laughs) And I'm like, well, I got number 12. What'd you get? You know, he told me, and we're like, crap, that ain't the one you wanted. He goes, I'm taking the one I got. <laughs> so we, we run into each other now. He's he's the next town over, and, and we see each other once or twice a year, and it's always a funny story yeah. that, you know, we're, we're able to do better now. So. There you go. Yeah, I was, I, I was taught to throw a rope whenever I was a little younger too, so I, I roped a few as well. Uh, you know, and then at yeah. a certain point you realize, you know, we just need a catch pen. Yeah. Uh, well, and if you don't go through those experiences, you really don't realize how much you need yeah. that oh, stuff. Man. You know. What if? Yeah, I got up off the ground after catching those two rounds. And we're like, this got this yeah. something got to change. <laughs> yeah. And if if you ever dive for a lamb or or a you or a ram whatever with a uh, one of those round markers in your pocket, and that's what you land on, you're going to be limping <laughs> around for a couple of days. Yeah, you're Our marked. first big step up was we bought a net on the end of a six-foot pole. And, and that increased our catching probably 100%. Huh. You know, they just didn't have to be at your feet anymore. And we were like, this is the greatest thing ever. Yes. Yeah, I got pretty good at tossing it too, you know, just yeah. <laughs> tossing it at a lamp as it <laughs> runs off. And and we were using that before we were even tagging lambs. And and then we found out once we started tagging the animals, now the net was a yeah. threat to the ear tag. So now you had to be careful. Yeah. So that's what really, you know, then it's like, okay, we, we got to watch netting them. Now we need to corral them into something. Uh, yeah, and it's just a mess. I mean, having a dog with you is definitely helpful. Uh, but my dog died, and at that point I needed you know, something serious. Uh, another thing that happened was in 20, end of 2013, we ended up being able to buy the farm that was around our house. So we went from the rented fields on, let's say, 15 acres to having a, a full farm of, of 80-some acres. So when you say the your first initial, was that the, the land behind your house now? Uh, yeah, right, right alongside my house on, yeah, that's what you had to start with. And you bought across the road, right? We bought, well, we didn't own any land other than exactly behind my house. Okay. Then we bought the farm that is a U shape around our house. The house was around in the middle. So, so we now have fields to both sides of the house on the same side as the house. And then we have the uh, probably 50 acres across the road from the house. Now, you know, just to fill Caleb in, one of the nice things is the the house is on one side of the road, the barn's on the other, but it's a dead-end road with only about five neighbors that live down below us. Nice. So it's very minimal traffic. Yeah, that helps. Yeah, out here when the the ranchers have their big sheep runs, they'll they'll run a 1,000 sheep down – and they'll cross major highways and traffic gets stopped for a while, but Hey, who's going to run over 3000 sheep crossing the road? <laughs> yeah. I just, I feel bad for the motorcyclists so, coming up behind, 
running over all the crap is kind of <laughs> my only problem. <laughs> yeah. So you said that was 2013. So at what what year was it when you when you dabbled with the with the Icelandics and the and the border collies? That would have started back in like '99. Okay. Oh wow. So I I uh, uh, yeah I forget what year exactly I got the border collie, but it was probably in about '96 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, I could I could look at my ribbons I guess and see at at what year that that we got into it. Yeah. Uh and he was an awesome dog and I just you know enjoyed that sport. I, I became a competitive sheep herder and and I went on the the circuit and uh you know got the got to meet a lot of people that way. That was interesting. Uh and as it turns out a lot of sheep herding people like Katahdin's cuz they don't want to spend the time doing the wool and really they're just looking for sheep. Uh, that they can easily maintain. Yeah, and Catans have a nice flocking instinct too that that makes them kind of ideal for herding. I mean, I know somebody that that raises Dorsets and they bought some Catans just for the herding. One, because they found that almost all the dog trials use Catans and so to train their dogs, the dogs were more used to, they need to be used to herding Catans in order to perform well. Um, but also because they have, you know, good flocking instinct and they're, they're great for training dogs. Yeah. Yeah. I just kind of fell into that. <laughs> uh, and then, so what happened? We, we end up, I always wanted to have a farm. The farm came available. We knew that if we didn't buy the farm, our whole lifestyle was going to change. And, and we'd have somebody maybe running cows right up against our yard. And, and we just, everything, everything about where we lived would change and we weren't sure we were going to be happy with that. So we, we ended up kind of out of necessity and, and the want to to own a farm, buying it. And then it was a question of, okay, how are we going to pay for it? So I didn't know anything about growing crops. So I'm not a, a, you know, I'm not going to grow corn and soybeans. Uh, I wasn't brought up on a farm, so I didn't, wasn't coached, uh, you know, of the best farming methods or anything like that. Since we had had sheep for a while, my wife just thought that I knew how to raise sheep. And, uh, the only thing we knew was sheep. So let's turn it into a sheep farm. So, uh, in, 2014, then I took a uh, small ruminant class from Penn State and uh, learned a lot about what it takes to raise sheep. Uh, I think we probably joined KHSI in 2014 because I'm a strong believer in, in associations that support the, uh, uh, you know, your, your occupation or, or what it is that, that you're, you know, pretty serious about in life. Yeah. And, uh, and started to, to see that there's a good amount of resources out there that I had no, no clue about previous to this. And, uh, you know, one of the things was that in 2014, we, we put on in our first year tags. We had never kept any records on the animals up until then. And so, you know, we, we, got, we got tags, we got a tagger. Uh, and we, my wife's great about trying to keep things organized. So, 
Uh, we came up with a system, and this is basically all on our own because everybody's got their own process of how they run their numbers on their farm and what color tags they get and, you know, just just that whole thing of keeping things so that you can visually recognize how old an animal is or or whatever it is about them. Yeah. So, so we did our tagging in 2014, uh, but there were some ewes there that might have been eight years old already that got tugged for the first time in 2014. Uh, and so, you know, basically on our farm, everything was kind of in our records born that day. And then we, we bought some handling equipment at the, uh, Maryland sheep and wool festival. And we were like, all right, we got to, we got a corral, we got a spin doctor. Uh, you know, our life has just been made, uh, <laughs> you know, so much better. And, uh, then it, it, we put that in the middle of the field and then built some fencing around it. And we were able to pen the animals up as they were transitioning from one side of the field to the other. And then we could run them through and, and actually uh, weigh the animals and, and record their, their tags and everything that we knew about them. So that was the beginning of, of doing it the right way. And it, in that process, some of the things I did, my wife's like, well, I thought you knew how to raise sheep. And I was like, well, I just had sheep. I didn't really raise them. Uh, we, you know, there was no organization, there were no record keeping, uh, but that has all changed. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Funny thing about the ear tag deal, <clears throat> you know, when I, when I started out with four U's and then, you know, up to 15 or 20. I heard all these different ideas. Like you said, there's thousands of ways to tag sheep. And, and one of them was, well, you know, I use a different color for each ram I use. So I know whose babies are, are which sire. And then the ewe lamb's got a different color and the ram lamb's got a different color. And, and I, I tried uh, different use and I tried different colors every year. Boy, after about the third year, I'm like, I'm running out of colors. This is this ain't gonna work. You know, I can't keep up in my head. All right, it's blue. What does blue mean? And and you can't sort or or make decisions when they're coming down the thing. Once you get too many sheep, you can't go. Oh, it's purple. What's purple mean? What's blue mean? I mean, it's just. And if you got help, you got my wife's helping me or one of the kids. You, what does that mean? I don't know. We got we got to stop what we're doing and look up. What yeah, purple you get a is, whole big know? color palette was, together, and you're just like, <laughs> oh yeah, five different shades of green. <laughs> Which shade is it? And then and then not only that, but you know, you guys have probably tried different colors over the years too. A lot of those colors don't show uh -huh. up. You can't read them. You know, there's some of those color ear tags we've bought where, I mean, you have to get it up here in your face to see what it, you yeah. know, what it is. So, yeah, I. My only thing I do tagging that's unique and it's not really that unique is I put Ram tags in one ear and U tags in the other ear and I can sort them out and it's pretty easy. Only problem is I used to do that too. I put U's in the right cause the female's always right. And, uh, but now with that electronic yeah. scanner, I don't <laughs> care. <laughs> I want all the tags on the, in the right ear. So yep. when it comes to the shoot, I'm standing there. Yeah. And that's all it matters. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, uh, I was talking to somebody and they, they had somebody 
that was helping them in the middle of lambing season and put a, a, a tag in a ram's ear like it was a U in mid, mid-summer, up your whole deal. <laughs> late fall. Uh, so back to talking about the tags. I mean, and I, I tell people that there's out of the 10 top things you should never do when raising sheep, we've done 11 of them. <laughs> so one of the first worst was a, a ram named Y5 who got tug as a U. And then we went and we bought a ram at the uh, Pennsylvania uh, ram test. Mm-hmm. And that, that ram came from Leon Gaiman. And we bought a ram from Whitmore Farm. And we had these two registered prime animals ready to go. And this was like in the fall of 2014, I think, or, you know, 2014, 2015, somewhere around there. And my wife calls me up one day and says, we have a ram down in the field. And I said, did one of them jump in? And she said, no, they're both over here in the pen. There's another ram in the field. <laughs> and we, I said, I, I don't know how that happened, who that is. We ended up, yeah, obviously like that mean that's an emergency roundup. So we came home, penned them all up and we find this little bugger. And here it was this seven month old Katahdin Ram Y5 who we didn't know who its mother was. We didn't know anything about it. And he's just in heaven, uh, just bouncing around with all the girls unnoticed for, for a month or two. <laughs> we ended up starting lambing in December that year, whenever we weren't <laughs> planning on lambing till February. Yeah. And it was a cold winter. They were, the lambs were getting pneumonia. We couldn't keep after them all. It was disastrous. Uh, we did wait like two or three weeks after we pulled Y5 out of there. And we, we then split the girls up the way we were going to. Mm-hmm. And we put in the two Rams, you know, in, in the way we wanted. But I think Y5 probably ruined 60% of our breeding plans. Yeah. So, wow. So that was a major setback. Well, how did how did it turn out? Were his lambs decent or were they not that great? <laughs> they 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 were not that great. Yeah, oh. I I don't there there are a few Y five descendants still around. Mm-hmm. Uh but he was very mediocre. Yeah. So while while we're talking tags, I just happen to have some on my desk. I want to show people what, what I use and, and Dan uses these too, right? The share right. oil tags. So, so these are Shearwell tags, uh, EID tags, and uh, and they have my USDA uh, scrapey mm-hmm. number on them, and yeah. uh, pretty cool. And then whenever they clip together, I have one on my keychain to show everybody because <laughs> people ask. And uh, so there's my keychain. Yeah, I've got That's- some of those and a couple of used from Lynn. There, yours have those tags in them. <laughs> well, let me, let me. Uh- 
clarify something here. You said, I just want to show people we're not actually doing this video, are we? <laughs> well, we might. I don't know. <laughs> it depends on how it turns maybe out. I should put a, maybe I should put a hat on and straighten my camera up. <laughs> <laughs> Holy crap. Uh, so, so we're recording as a practice for future okay. videos in case. So I need the footage to kind of know how yeah, it's going to turn out. It may not even, it may not save it to where, where we can, you know? Yeah. I, yeah I I'm okay know. with that practice thing. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We need to, we need to send out waivers, uh, Caleb, to our guests. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sign off anything you say and we'll yeah. be used against yeah. you. So, so back on tags, what we have learned is that there are colors that don't show up. Mm -hmm. We like white, we like yellow, uh, and we like orange. Okay. Now, we, uh, we also are using Shearwell. In the first year, we used Shearwell for both ears. But you mm -hmm. cannot tell that number yeah. in that ear from... 12 inches away mm -hmm. so you got to be close exactly so now what we do is we put a shear well eid in the one ear and if it's a u it goes in our left ear if it's a ram it goes in the right ear okay then we use a uh, a premier tag that's about a one by one and that does not correspond with the shear well okay it just gives us uh our and the, the shear well is the uh scrapies tag mm -hmm. so the the one that goes in the other ear just has our farm name elr and then uh some number starting at zero zero one uh and and it always has actually there's four digits the first digit is the last year digit of the year mm -hmm. so this year the first number was zero then it, it might be zero 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 one mm -hmm. so next year the first digit will be one for yeah 2021 and then uh yeah and is that your registration tag then or do you use your eid tag for registration yes. we use the uh, the farm tag okay. for registration. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do too, because it is easy to see. You can't see, like he mm -hmm. says, you can't yeah. see these, you know, we tried the same thing. Dan's talking about these, these tag, the non EID tags are so cheap. I mean, we had to try them. Right. I mean, they're just a, like a nickel a piece or something. I mean, just stupid cheap, but you can't see them unless you've got that thing down on the ground and mm -hmm. tied up, you know? Uh, yeah. So yeah, we, we do the, the number three premier, the premier number mm -hmm. three tag. And because your KHSI number has to match. And, and if you move your scrapey tag off, then you lose your farm tag. And it's so hard to get a different, to get that same scrapey tag or, you know, so we just don't fool with that. Yep. So, and we do it, uh, the ewes in the left ear, because we tend to keep a lot of our ewe lambs, and we always work our animals from right to left. So their left ear is going by us. Uh, if they're rams, we only have to be reading that EID tag 
for the first couple months of their lives and then off the farm they go. So I always like to be able to tell from a distance whether it's a ram or a ewe if I can't see the entire uh, physique of the animal. I can't tell. I can tell by where their tag is. And if I'm within five or six feet, I can read that flock tag number. And that's important when you have an animal that, that might be coughing or sneezing. Uh, you, you, want, you, you see something that's limping a little bit. You need to be able to identify that animal from a little distance so that whenever you get them into a group and want to deal with that animal, you know which one you're looking for. Yeah. So that's, that's why it's important to be able to identify an animal from a distance. Yeah, definitely. So we've talked yeah. a little bit about kind of your, your system now. Um, let's, let's kind of jump way back to uh, when you first kind of made that transition from just having those, those commercial Katahdins and Icelandics to when you bought your first registered sheep. What made you want to switch to uh, using registered sheep? And then when you took the step and jumped into NSIP, kind of what was that transition of switching from just a couple of sheep uh, for your dog um, so you could teach an old dog new tricks and uh, to transition of now you're selling registered breeding stock with NSIP? Maybe walk us through that, that transition a little bit. Yeah, the once we bought the farm and and thought we had to take it seriously is is really the the catalyst that that made the change. If we wouldn't have been able to buy the farm, basically the sheep were for sale, so mm-hmm. it would have been out of it. Uh, so buying the farm and determining now we have to try and become uh, legitimate farmers and yeah. and and be able to do the farm justice we didn't feel we could do that with just a ragtag group of sheep and since i had just happened to have come upon katahdin's uh way back around 2000 uh and they didn't need to be sheared and i didn't think that wool prices were any good it all made sense to me that we should focus on the katahd at that point uh i had taken that penn state small ruminant course online and was on their mailing list for the ram sale so i looked at the catalog for the ram sale and they've got some katahdins in there and that's when i determined i'm going to buy myself i'm going to that auction and i'm going to buy the best katahdin there and uh fortunately not many people were bidding against me so i got <laughs> that's the nice katahdin there. For a little do they still do they still have that sale is it something that's an annual event or yes it's an annual event and it has never really gained much popularity huh. uh, and i i don't know that the test is much of a test other than they give it a certain ration and they tell you which animals have gained the most weight uh you know in a certain amount of time gotcha so so I honestly, when I went to that sale, the animals that sold the best were the Dorfers. And so I came home from that sale that I bought a Katahdin, but I was determined that we were going to raise Dorfers. So we went and found ourselves some registered Dorfers and uh, the guy bred them for us to his ram and his facility looked real nice and his animals looked great. 
we brought them back and and those dorpers just really didn't do anything for us there's we still have one of them left uh but with health problems and just bad lambing uh the dorpers just fell out of favor with us and the Katahdins were just doing their thing and it might have just been that I bought some bad dorpers but that was a big enough experiment for me that I gave up on thinking that dorpers are going to get me more money. So we uh, concentrated on the Katahdins. Uh, we met the Whitmore folks down in Maryland, bought a ram from them and decided that we were turning our flock into Katahdins. Once we found that the, that there was an open registry that we could breed in, breed up to mm -hmm. Katahdins. Yeah. Uh, we decided that since we already had probably at that point, we had 75 ewes, uh, it'd be very expensive to just throw them out and replace them. And many of them were doing well for me. So we decided to keep the ewes we had, start tagging them, keeping records, using registered Katahdin rams on them, and that we would eventually be able to end up with a full Katahdin flock. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what made uh, Dan's place a great place to do a, a hair coat training because he had he had all levels of, of wool and, and slick, you know, so it made a, a great example and, and enough volume to to have some of everything to show everybody. So it was a, I'm glad you did that. Yeah. 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 So maybe tell us a little bit about where you're at now, what kind of your flock size, um, kind of your feeding system. Um, walk us through maybe what a year looks like from lambing through and through, you know, the summer, um, through the fall, and then kind of take us into your market. Maybe kind of walk us through what your overall system looks like now. Uh, we are currently this year, I think in, we're going to go from 2020 into 2021 with probably 250 ewes. Okay. Uh, and we were at 220 last year and maybe 200 the year before. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see, two, three years ago, we built a, uh, a barn on, on the farm. It is the main part of the barn is 60 by 156, but there on each side there are porches that run 156 feet long, and they are 16 or 15 feet wide. So the footprint of the barn then is 90 by 156. That's a pretty good sized barn. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's we're not. It's very pretty, nice. Pretty, pretty happy with that. Uh, we had to bring some fill in because we don't didn't have the level spot, but yeah, uh, but we needed it to be that big for what we were doing. Yeah, and it's an open, uh, open area, you know, open footprint, uh, and so we can change how the inside of that barn looks season to season. I did take and put some. Uh, permanent waterers in so there are locations i think four locations inside the barn that always have water 
and that's fed from underground, so it can be throughout the winter. What we'll do is, right now there's not many animals in the barn. In the, in the summertime, the barn basically goes empty unless we want to bring some animals up just to get them out of the sun. Uh, they can come up and we have our, our sorting system inside the barn because really the barn is mostly for us. We can work the animals in the bad weather. We can work the animals in the heat. Uh, I actually take some of the tin off the side of the barn so that a breeze goes through in the summertime. Boy, that makes a big difference. Uh, yeah. We do have curtains on both sides of the barn. Uh, the 150 foot or 156 foot length uh, power curtain. So I can just push a button and the curtains go up and gives me the ventilation uh, through the through the upper part of the barn. And do y'all see that screen? Something just changed. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Can y'all see it? You just see this one here, yeah. right? That shows the podcast deal. Okay. I, I found out how to do it. Now I don't know how to <laughs> go back. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I'm there talking and all of a sudden my screen, Robert goes away and there's something else. All right. All right. So that brings up, can you see Caleb? Yeah. I I, you only I see, see all three of you on the side. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. All right. Now I got to figure out yeah. how to not do that. Stop share. Oh, there we go. Oh. Cause I was sitting here thinking I got pictures of Dan's barn. That would be a great when we go live <laughs> with a video. Uh, it'd be great to show some of those things yeah. while we're talking oh, yeah. about it. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, all this would be, you know, all that much better. Great yeah. YouTube content. And there's not really much out there for YouTube content, that's for sure. Yeah. Not yet. Well, there's content out there. I don't know the quality of the content, but we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> I've got my two sheep, and this is how you need to raise your sheep, just like me and my two. <laughs> <laughs> That's about what's up there. <laughs> okay, guys, we're going to take a break, and uh, we will continue our next episode. It'll be episode 16. will be part two of our conversation with Dan Turner. I hope you enjoyed it, and uh, I think I just want to let you guys know we have reached 2,200 listener, or listens, Mark, on our podcast, so uh, thank you very much for tuning in and keep coming back. Well, everyone, we hope you're enjoying the podcast so far, and, and hopefully it's sparking some questions in your mind as you're thinking about your operations and thinking about what you can do to improve. Maybe you're new and, and thinking about questions of, of how you can continue raising your sheep and, and things that you're learning and things you still have questions about. Send us an email, uh, podcast at sheepthings.com. We'll get those emails, and uh, we'll, we'll be happy to answer your questions. And uh, after we get a few questions, Periodically, we'll actually do a podcast uh, with question and answer, and we'll answer your questions right on the podcast here so you can listen to our answers. And, and we're happy to answer any questions that we can. And hopefully, this podcast is, is generating those questions in your mind as you start thinking about it. But hopefully, it's answering questions too. You come to this podcast ready to learn and 
and uh, I know I'm always learning something new talking with these people, people that I've I've known before, people that I haven't, and you always learn something new. And so hopefully we can help answer your questions, but we can't answer your questions unless you send them to us. So again, that's podcast at cheapthings.com, podcast at cheapthings.com. Email us your questions and we'll be happy to answer them uh, coming up here soon. Thanks for listening to the Sheep Things Podcast. Stay connected to our website and Facebook page or sign up to follow us on a podcast service to get updates. We want your feedback so you can email us at podcast at sheepthings.com for suggestions or comments. Thank you and see you later. guys let's get ready for part two of our conversation with larry and lisa weeks this will be season one episode 14 Uh, so i hope you enjoy our conversation